With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And good afternoon. This is Ted Hart, your host of The Nonprofit Coach, coming to you live from New York City. Today is October 18th, and as always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. For those of you who may be new to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, you can call in to 347-324-3080 to ask a question of our Page 2 expert. Here on Page 1, we cover the news of the day in the nonprofit sector. You can follow along with the radio links over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. First up here on page one news uh, comes the very sad passing of a pioneer in Internet and technology, and that is Steve Jobs. I think you'd have to be living under a rock uh, not to have known that Steve Jobs did pass on. What I'm sharing with you in the radio links today uh, is uh, a speech that was given by Steve Jobs uh, before he passed away uh, in which he tells students to stay hungry and stay foolish. The late Apple co-founder uh, has been called the Thomas Edison of our time, and this was uh, it, I'm providing you with the commencement speech at the Stanford University of 2005, where he dropped out of college and went on to great prominence. Back up here on page one news, next up uh, is our three presentation secrets for nonprofit organizations. This comes to us 
from the Microsoft Office blog, PowerPoint blog, and it walks you through three presentation secrets that will help improve uh, your presentations as a nonprofit organization. Check it out over in the radio links today, and you'll see that some of the examples uh, that they're providing you today come from the American Red Cross, uh, come to us uh, from the March of Dimes and other organizations, and some really terrific presentation uh, secrets for your PowerPoint. Next up here on the nonprofit comes comes from Mashable.com. Mashable Business is helping you understand why some QR codes, which we have covered here on the nonprofit coach in the past, are more scan worthy than others. Now, QR codes uh, is not a technology that we are recommending to nonprofits as a core competency right now, but it is on the radar screen. Uh, it is something that is being successfully used, uh, and what this is helping you understand is why QR codes are scanned, which ones are better than others, and how you might be uh, starting to incorporate uh, QR codes, which are quick response codes, uh, into your direct mail, into your uh, presentation documents, and even at events uh, that you run for your organization. Check it all out in the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Now, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, it's always uh, terrific to have the opportunity uh, to welcome a good friend of ours uh, on the second week of the month. But uh, this this uh, month being October, uh, we did not have a show last week uh, because of Columbus Day. Uh, so we have Susan McDermott from Wiley, uh, John Wiley and Sons, coming on the show today where she normally would be making the big announcement of who's going to be our guest on the show next week. Susan, you're actually here with us to tell us who our, our, our guest is today on the AFP Wiley radio show. Welcome, Susan McDermott from John Wiley & Sons. Hello, Susan. Oh, sorry about that, Susan. Susan, it would, uh, it would help if I turned on your microphone. So go ahead. <laughs> I said uh, nice sorry to, about that. That was my fault. No problem, Ted. I said nice to talk to you as always. I'm happy to be here and happy to introduce today's uh, book and author. Uh, the book is Jumpstarting the Stalled Fundraising Campaign, uh, written by Julia Walker. And uh, this book is basically a strategic approach to fundraising in a weak economy. And the interesting thing about this book is that we published it in mid-2009 when we were experiencing a weak economy. And unfortunately, here we are at the end of 2011 still experiencing a weak economy. So I think that nonprofits of all types and sizes can really benefit from Julie's um, expert advice, step-by-step -step guidance, and practical tools on prospect identification, cultivation, communicating messages more effectively, and building opportunities um, for change across their organizations. Um, Julie is based out of um, based out of New Orleans, and she's a, um, an, uh, a nonprofit consultant, and she's helped numerous campaigns, uh, capital campaigns, and she's had ex um, extensive experience, especially after Hurricane Katrina, helping a lot of those nonprofits get back on their feet. Uh, so she's, she's ideally positioned to write this book, and, uh, and again, I think you're going to enjoy talking to her. Well, this book is, uh, has been released to great uh, acclaim, and as you said, uh, this great recession has certainly lasted longer uh, than anyone would, would like and has been, in many sectors, devastating to the nonprofit sector. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight uh, before I let you go today uh, into the AFP Wiley radio series here on the Nonprofit Coach in terms of what we're hoping to accomplish in highlighting some of these authors? 
Well, what we're hoping to, uh, I mean, the, every book that we sign into the series is a is a book that um, that we where we've identified sort of a um, the committee has identified a gap in the literature, and uh, some of them are sort of standard um, uh, evergreen titles that 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 nonprofits can can really use, and other titles that that we that we bring into the series are things like Julie's book where um, where there's an immediate need and something that's um, helpful to uh, to nonprofits of all sizes and in, in all sectors. So um, that's one of the things that the uh, that the series tries to accomplish, and I think it's done a great job with this book. Well, I, I want to thank you again uh, for being here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, for your active involvement in promoting the AFP Wiley radio series here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, with Ted Hart, and we'll uh, look forward to having you back here on the show uh, uh, next month, second week of next month, to let us know who our guest will be. That sounds great, Ted. Thank you again. Thanks for this wonderful opportunity. You bet. Thank you, Susan. That was Susan McDermott uh, from John Wiley & Sons sharing with us uh, the great news of who our guest is going to be here on The Nonprofit Coach when we get to page two. Also, just to remind our listeners that in addition to calling in uh, to the show, you can also ask questions in the chat room. The chat room is live, and I do see someone over in the chat room right now. You can also email me at tedhart at tedhart. Com. Next up here on page one news, again, follow along at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Comes to us from The Guardian over in the UK. Online fundraising is great for smaller charities, but which site? Well, all charities benefit from online fundraising, but for those with less resources, choosing the right site can be a hard decision and certainly a very important decision as well. Uh, so you'll find over in the radio links today uh, your ability to download a copy of the UK Giving 2010 report uh, on online giving. So check it out. Uh, given that technology use is rapidly changing, uh, the Institute of Fundraising Digital Media uh, Manager is certainly tracking this and is providing great advice today here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we have uh, another guest here on page one. Uh, this is a particular uh, pleasure uh, that I have to uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, uh, Jose Fernandez, uh, who has some really terrific news uh, for charitable organizations from GuideStar. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Jose Fernandez, Director of GuideStar Exchange Program. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for uh, bringing me on, Ted. Well, it's, uh, you've got really uh, quite an exciting announcement to make to the nonprofit sector today. Uh, so go ahead and tell us all about the giveaway uh, and how charities can not only do some great work on GuideStar uh, in, in uh, earning the GuideStar Exchange seal, but also maybe earn some money. Oh, certainly. Uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, nonprofits. Basically, in a nutshell, GuideStar and Kimbia uh, we'll be awarding $5,000 to the 501c3 public charity or private operating foundation that holds the GuideStar Exchange seal and has the most donations through their GuideStar profile uh, between November 1st and December 31st. Now, tell us a little bit about the relationship between GuideStar and Kimba. Uh, this is the organization that powers GuideStar's online giving module. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, we joined with uh, Kimbia last year as our uh, front-end donation provider. Uh, basically, they provide a widget on GuideStar um, in order to provide secure donations to nonprofits. And uh, they've done a couple contests in the past before, and we're joining once again to do another contest, this time in time for the giving season. 
That's great. Now, uh, Jose, those uh, listeners today who are familiar with the Nonprofit Coach and those who are not um, should know that uh, from the Nonprofit Coach's perspective, uh, the number one online strategy for success for nonprofit organizations is a strong, well-designed website with a strong email service connected uh, to that. And number two most important strategy is what we call a guide star strategy. Uh, we urge all nonprofits as their number two online exercise is to earn that guide star exchange seal. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what is the guide star exchange seal, uh, which will give folks a little bit of an insight uh, into why I consider it the number two most important thing for charities to do online today. Great. Well, the Guide Star Exchange seal is basically a seal of transparency. It tells the donor that that nonprofit has taken the time to upload a certain amount of information onto their Guide Star report, letting the donor know that that they are transparent and and what their inner operations are. The Guide Star Exchange and in earning the Guide Star Exchange seal, what do they receive in return? The nonprofit receives several benefits. Uh, one, um, they receive basically uh, mention on GuideStar, uh, letting the public know that they are a GuideStar Exchange seal holder. They re- also receive several other benefits, such as donations through Kimbia. They receive help online videos for fundraising. They also receive uh, certain free products from GuideStar. And uh, primarily the, the most important thing that they receive is that their information is broadcasted to their constituents. Foundations and donors, millions, come to GuideStar every year to learn more about the nonprofit. And if the GuideStar Exchange seal is on the nonprofit report, that tells that foundation or that donor that that nonprofit is ready and willing to show the amount of information needed in order to make an informed giving decision. Well, and you've just put your finger on the reason why a GuideStar strategy is, uh, in our estimation here on the Nonprofit Coach, the number two most important strategy, more important than Facebook, more important than Twitter or LinkedIn. A GuideStar strategy is more important online because of the audience that your information is used for, not just available to, but actually used by on a regular basis. So talk a little bit about the kind of websites that you folks power and where the GuideStar information is available and why that's so powerful in the giving community, particularly with foundations, corporations, and high net worth individuals. Well, first off, thank you for the wonderful accolades. Uh, I, I've got to get you for a quote sometime. It's, 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 it's a great way of, of saying how important GuideStar is to a nonprofit. Uh, GuideStar information goes to several uh, online giving donation sites, uh, such as Network for Good. It goes to several um uh donation uh sites i'm sorry i'm i'm drawing a, a blank on uh, on the type of uh donation uh sites right now yeah, but, uh, that, well so just to just uh, to fill in the blanks there for folks some of the reason why GuideStar is so powerful is because you uh, you power the fidelity charitable gift fund schwab Correct. fund for charitable giving t Rowe price uh, a network for Good, Just Give, and Correct. the American Express Express Giving site. Correct. So these are very powerful websites that 
Charities can come and update their information on GuideStar uh, and automatically have their information updated on these very powerful giving sites. Now, before I let you go here on page one, uh, just a rundown through. Now, my understanding is that charities who want to try to earn the $5,000 giveaway do need to complete uh, the requirements for the GuideStar Exchange seal before November 15th. So there's still lots of time to do that because it, it is actually possible to do that uh, in just a few hours if you have your information ready. Uh, they register for the contest and then all donations on the GuideStar site processed through Kimbia through what date will qualify for this giveaway? Sure. Okay. So basically, it is a 501c3 public charity or private operating foundation that registers for the contest and has the GuideStar Exchange seal by November 15th. They can register on guidestar.org slash contest, and if they have the most number of donations, then they're eligible for the $5,000. That's great. Now, let me, let me understand, because I want to make sure that my listeners have a clear path here. They have to have earned the GuideStar Exchange seal by November 15th. Do they have to separately register for the contest, or having the exchange seal, their, do, their do, donations will then be counted? Like, if they miss the step of registering for the contest, are they out, or are they still in? They are out. They must register for the contest. They must register for the contest on guystar.org slash contest in order to be counted. And it's not the total number of dollar donations, but the total number of donations that, that, okay. that counts. So it's not contest. dollars, it's number of donations. Okay, so for all of our listeners, the race is on. Make sure that you earn the GuideStar Exchange seal by November 15th. Register for the contest, and everything that you need is available today in the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. You can download information about the GuideStar Exchange seal. Uh, you can register. The link is right there online for you to register for the contest. And let's get out there and raise lots of money working with GuideStar and Kimbia. Uh, Jose, thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach today. Thank you so much as well. Appreciate it. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, as we inch ever closer uh, to our page two expert today, our seven tips to improve your charity's mobile fundraising. Uh, try filling in a direct debit for your charity on a BlackBerry to find out how well your website converts to mobile format. Uh, check this out. It also comes to us from The Guardian from the Fundraising Hub. You can check that out in the radio links uh, today at tedhart.com. Next up here on page one comes to us from the Social Media Examiner, and this is six ways to become more likable uh, with social media, which means uh, getting more people to follow you on Twitter, uh, getting more folks to uh, like you on Facebook, and learning those uh, tips on how you can do a really good job uh, with your Twitter campaigns. Now, speaking about Twitter, uh, make sure that you are following us uh, at Ted Hart is the handle over on Twitter because throughout the week in between the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, we will be sharing with you the most up-to-date links on the very best information available throughout the web. One of those things that we shared with you this week, and you're hearing about it here on the Nonprofit Coach today, uh, is a downloadable copy of the Guide to Low-Cost Donor Management Systems uh, put together by 
N10 and Ideal Wear. This is a really terrific guide, a free ebook, if you will, that walks through each of the current uh, services uh, that are available and allows you to start doing some assessment. Uh, as you're approaching year-end, you need to make sure, as a charitable organization, you have an excellent donor management system in place. This is a great way to find low-cost and no-cost uh, fundraising services for your organization. Last up here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, comes directly from Convio's event that they had up in Baltimore a uh, week before last. Interestingly enough, they were competing directly with the huge BBCon conference in Washington, D.C., and what they released was their peer-to-peer -peer event fundraising benchmark. Uh, and in this, they are sharing with you information specific to people-to-people -people fundraising. So what is the most important uh, strategy that you can deploy uh, in the use of online fundraising is people-to-people -people fundraising strategy. And now what Convio is providing to you uh, is direct information on over a billion dollars that have been raised through fundraising uh, in 2010 that allows you to now have a peek into peer-to-peer uh, -peer fundraising, or as we call it, people-to-people -people fundraising, that is available today over in the radio links at Ted Hart. You have a copy of the press release and the link directly to download a copy of this report. That's what we have here for uh, our page one news. Now it's on to page two. I don't think I can do any better than the introduction that Susan McDermott did today of Julia Walker. Julia Walker is the author of Jump Starting the Stalled Fundraising Campaign, which is part of the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series, which is why she is with us today here on The Nonprofit Coach on this very special edition of uh, The Nonprofit Coach known as the AFP Wiley Radio Show. A welcome here to The Nonprofit Coach, Julia Walker. It would help if I turned on your microphone. There you go, Julia. You're here with us. Thank you, Ted. I'm thrilled to be part of the show. Sorry about that. I have to keep uh, reminding to turn on the microphone before you can say anything. It's great to have you here on the show today. Now, uh, we had an excellent introduction today by Susan McDermott uh, regarding this wonderful book, which has been so well received. Um, give me a little bit of an insight um, going back to the genesis of this book. Uh, as to why was this book necessary for you to put together uh, at this time? Well, that's an interesting question. I, uh, I've been a fundraising consultant for about um, 12 years, and before that I was a vice president of development at Tulane University here in New Orleans. So most of my work has been with campaigns, large, small, medium-sized, you know, whatever, whatever size the nonprofit um, is, I've, I've worked with it. And... Um, what I found was that there was just a whole series of activities related to fundraising that people were um, using that either are outmoded or outdated or weren't effective as uh, during this time of economic uncertainty. So I put together a little program, um, kind of tested it uh, with some uh, web seminars on, um, you know, how to fundraise uh, in difficult times, how to jumpstart your campaign, how to how to deal with things when they stall and when when they're a little bit slow, and um, I just got a great response from uh, readers and listeners. So I decided that it was a topic that really needed to be covered in a book. 
Well, it's such an, uh, an important topic uh, to be covered because particularly for smaller uh, nonprofits or even novice uh, charity officers, one of the the scariest things that can happen is to have a campaign stall out and to not know what to do. Um, so what are some of the uh, the early tips as you're talking to someone and they're, they're in true panic mode, that their campaign is stalled out, they haven't reached their goals? Where do you go first in terms of helping them determine what kind of strategy will work? Well, um, that's a good question, Ted. You know, I feel like um, – a lot of our development people need to get a little more analytical uh, and think about, uh, you know, how to analyze their results and really take a look uh, at what the trends are. Um, you know, the um, uh, one of the warning signs, for instance, is uh, a um, uh, a smaller number of donors at the top of the gift pyramid. You know, in general, a lot of uh, a lot of campaigns really ride uh, on the larger gifts that they get, and so. You know, you have the old 80-20 rule where 80% of the money comes from 20% of the donors. And, and really, to be honest, um, before the um, recent, um, you know, economic uncertainties that started around 2007, 2008, um, a lot of campaigns were even um, running a 90% uh, of the money was coming from 10% of the donors. You know, the gift tables were getting steeper. So, you know, you, you begin to see trouble at the top with the larger gifts, uh, and then it, um, then it goes all the way down to the annual fund where you find donors falling off. So I think, um, I think part, of the, part of the warning signal is, is to look at your numbers, to analyze what's happening, uh, and also to start listening. Listen, you know, donors, um, donors are taking longer to make their decisions about making gifts, and when you listen to them, what, what's really behind that is the uncertainty of their own uh, financial situation. Well, and one of the reasons why a book like yours is so very important, I think, uh, for the nonprofit sector is w wouldn't you agree uh, donors, particularly donors who are going to be making up that 90-10 or 80-20 rule that you were talking about, they're pretty savvy. They know what a good solicitation looks like. They know what good cultivation looks like. Uh, so the days of, uh, I don't know, kind of fudging it, um, really for a lot of organizations are over, you've got to be a professional and you have to have the best tools available uh, or you're simply not going to succeed. You know, I think that's very true. Our, um, our fundraisers have become more savvy and, you know, are using a lot of different tools. I was interested, for instance, in your introduction about the QR codes, uh, you know, something that um, wouldn't have been thought about in fundraising five years ago. Uh, but our um, our donors are getting savvier too. Uh, there's just no question that uh, you know donors are taking a longer uh, and closer look at the uh, nonprofits that they're supporting. That's really why GuideStar is so helpful. Helpful. That's why you know gathering information uh, to uh, uh, to put on your website is so helpful. But um, I guess what I'd say is that the donor situation is such that um, donors are kind of in the driver's seat. You know, they're making a decision that's. Uh, that, that's going to affect their own financial situation, their own um, nonprofit relationships, and they're taking their time to do that. Well, and, and, and it does take time, and is, is that one of the reasons why uh, campaigns stall? Do they actually stall, or are they just taking longer? Well, I think there's two things going on. Um, one is that uh, there is uh, there's definitely a trend nationally for donors to be taking longer to make up their mind about gifts. Um, you know, just a cute little story, but, uh, you know, it might be hard to sympathize with this, but uh, we, one of my organizations that I'm working with did a call on a donor the other day and asked her for a million dollars to help with an endowment campaign. Uh, 
And she looked at them in shock and horror and said, you know, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm down to my last $20 million. Yeah, you know, it is tough to make it on $20 million, so uh, that <laughs> that is an interesting uh, story. But uh, thinking in terms of a, a stalled campaign, what went wrong in that ask? Did they did they not have their uh, their data correct? Did they not done their homework right? Was it uh, an error in cultivation, um, or what would you say in terms of a strategist on on that campaign? It's amusing to say, well, I'm down to my last uh, twenty million. Uh, but but there again, if you're asking someone for a million dollars and they only have twenty million, that is one twentieth of all of their assets. So it's pretty large ask. Well, you know, um, some of it has to do with research. You know, they, um, you do have to know what your donor's financial situation is, and these days the financial situations are changing rapidly. Um, but, um, you know, I'm just, for instance, thinking about the um, recent Merrill Lynch study of high net worth individuals, you know, that the Center of Philanthropy and Indiana University does. And what they discovered is that people who um, have high household wealth, and they're talking there of $10 million or more, um, that they have uh, have dropped in terms of their percentage of giving. Instead of giving uh, 11%, which is what they were running in 2007, they're only giving away 9% of their annual income to charity. So that's high for the U.S., uh, 9% of your annual income. Um, the average is somewhere between 2 and 5%. But it's certainly dropping from 11 to 9% makes a big difference. And so, um, you know, there is well, a- Particularly when it's 11 to 9% of a lot of money. I mean, if you drop 11 to 9%, you know, on a on a base of a thousand dollars giving, that that's not going to affect charity's ability to meet campaign goals. Uh, but when you're talking about dropping from 11 uh, percent to nine percent on a 20 million, uh, that is significant and that's across the board yeah. uh, is problematic for <laughs> lots of campaigns. So one of the things that um, uh, you know that you need to be aware of is that a donor who's in that kind of situation where they're giving a little less is is going to be more cautious. So. What I tell my clients is that, you know, you really have to think about how to get to the top of this person's giving priorities. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm going to give away less money, I might still be making large gifts, but I'm probably going to be making fewer of them. So in general, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I think you can do to respond to this kind of environment is to kind of um, focus more on cultivation and engagement. It's taking longer to get people to make gifts. But it's very important to use that time to get them engaged in the work of your organization and committed to the work of your organization because they might be making three gifts at a high level instead of ten gifts at a high level. Um, You know, just thinking in terms of prioritization, if you're at the top of their their giving um, and prioritization in charitable giving, then you're going to have a better chance of closing that gift. Exactly, exactly. Um, Just a reminder to uh, all of our listeners that they can call in and ask a question today at 347-324-3080. You can also ask questions over in the chat room. I do see some folks uh, over in the chat room. And, uh, Julia, we do have uh, an email question that came in from Kay in Dallas, and she's asking what her organization can do to find new prospects and how does that tie into uh, reaching the goals for a stalled campaign. Well, you know, uh, new prospects are really the lifeblood of an organization. It's true that you can go back to um, current donors and old donors and, you know, keep them involved and that that people who, uh, you know, have been supporting your organization are a core group of supporters to look at for the future. But if you don't have new donors, you're just going to die on the vine. And um, so there's several ways to think about it. One is um, 
to, to become a little more active in working with your board and volunteer organizations to identify people that they know. And, you know, this is the old idea of um, screening prospects. But nowadays, with um, you know a lot of internet tools, you can get a lot better of information, a lot better information, and um, um, improve your list building. So that when you go in front of board members or you go in front of uh, volunteers with a list of potential prospects for them to review, you've really got uh, already some um, some sense that these are people who have the capacity to make a gift, and these are people who have the potential to be interested in your organization. So I would say that. Um, Prospect development has gotten much more sophisticated, um, partly due to um, electronic prospect screening and the ability to do better screening individually, one-on-one, or in small groups with uh, with your board members. And uh, so I think I'd start there. With um, it's an old it's an old axiom of who knows who and where the relationships are, but it's supported by new technology, which is to to develop stronger lists of potential prospects who really have the capacity and interest to support your organization. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that. And, Kay, thank you so, so very much for that uh, that question. Uh, because a lot of what works online in this Internet age is getting back to basics. It is getting back to relationships that uh, I think for a period of time we may have drifted away uh, with direct mail and phone, and it was sort of more direct marketing as it was direct influencing. Uh, and I think that we're now in this age of, of direct influencing. Uh, I want to uh, give a shout-out uh, uh, to Andrew and all the folks at uh, the women's division who are hosting me today here in New York so that I can uh, host the nonprofit coach while I'm here on business uh, in New York. And when I'm working with their organization, I often share what you just, uh, what you just spoke of today, uh, and that is where you can find new prospects. Because a lot of charitable organizations, either before or after the, the downturn in the economy, lack the resources to be able to go out and buy a lot of the services that might be available. But those who are familiar with the nonprofit coaches, I just shared the number one online strategy is a strong website with strong email service. Number two is GuideStar. And number three in the six pillars of success uh, is a LinkedIn strategy. And that ties in directly with what you're talking about and how the LinkedIn database can help you directly connect to people who know people and help you build those relationships. And that's a free service, but it does take putting together the strategy. Well, that's an excellent point, and you know, I, I like your uh, your way of conceptualizing the fact that even though we have these new technologies, um, what it really boils down to is an old-fashioned concept of people talking to people, people asking people, people working with people whom they know and whom they respect in the community to support the nonprofits that they love, and you know, that's what it comes down to. And uh, I, I think that we can find ways to fine-tune the list development um, to find new prospects, but. Um, the uh, the connecting link between people really makes uh, uh, makes all the difference. Yeah, it, it it really does, and and that that is the centerpiece, uh, Julia, of uh, how you can turn around and jumpstart a campaign. We're going to take a little bit of a station break, and when we come back, I really want to get into your concept in the in the book of as folks are looking at year end, what are the two or three things that you really think that charities often miss in year-end campaign. So we'll be uh, right back after this brief break. Our sponsor of the show today is 
is John Wiley and Sons, and we're bringing to you the Internet Management for Nonprofits book. Uh, this is a book that I co-authored with Jim Greenfield, Steve McLaughlin, and Philip Geyer. Uh, in this book, with the rapid onset of increasingly advanced and complex strategies that have challenged nonprofits to invest with their sparse resources in attempting and sometimes failing to keep pace with for-profit companies, with the result that most now cannot compete with new commercial products and commercial applications. The Nonprofit Internet Management book reveals how current technologies can be utilized in full measure, both effectively by nonprofits and addressing how to manage various applications for maximum benefit to internal operations and community service. With this book, you get step-by-step -step information from experts around the world filled with case studies that will help you with screenshots, tables, worksheets, and checklists to help make this essential resource of the Internet available for successful nonprofit organizations throughout the modern wired world. Check it out over at the radio links today in the highlighted link for today's sponsor, John Wiley & Sons, promoting Internet management for nonprofits. Buy it today for your staff. Buy it today for yourself at this holiday season. Take care, and we'll be right back to the show. Just remind our, our listeners that they can call in to 347-324-3080. They can ask questions over in the chat room, and they can also uh, email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, Julia, what are the two or three things that our listeners need to keep in mind for year-end success, whether their campaign is stalling at year-end or has traditionally not done as well as they would like? Well, year-end, of course, is an important time. Uh, as long as we keep the charitable deduction, at least, it'll be uh, a factor in giving. And, um, you know, I would say that uh, there's a couple things to think about at year-end. The first is that, uh, you know, um, this is a good time to try to bump people up to a new gift level. Um, in um, in most of my work, I've found that uh, uh, if you're if you're talking to donors about annual fund gifts, um, there is a, a significant break between people who are making small gifts, $100, $200, and people who are giving at what I call the annual fund leadership level, of 1000 or 1500 And I think a lot of our organizations miss um, the potential for bringing in those $1,000 gifts at year-end uh, from donors who really are supporting them but are supporting at a much lower level and haven't really been asked at a higher level. So I'm kind That's of a very important concept that you're putting out there. What what it sounds like that you're saying that a lot of charities miss is in the rush to find new donors, new lists, new money, uh, that they're really maybe not doing as good a job with cultivation uh, and, uh, and, and thanking their donors to get those current donors to move to higher levels. Well, um, you know, annual funds for years have built, uh, you know, these tiers of giving from, you know, $50 to $100 to $250. And what I find is that they sometimes miss the jump of bringing a smaller donor to the $1,000 level. And the, and the $1,000 organizations uh, and society, giving societies really um, have huge potential for growth, in my opinion. $1,000 is a gift within the means of many middle-class families in America, especially for a nonprofit that they are very committed to and a cause that they really believe in. 
Uh, and so I think that's an area of, of huge growth is to, is, to, is to look at who's already in your donor pool and to try to move them up to the $1,000 level. Yeah, that that really I think is a, a key strategy uh, for charities that is is really often very much missed um, in thinking through uh, how the organization should be growing the base that they have. Part of your uh, your book talks about that relationship uh, with the donor. Um, you're saying that's uh, that level of giving, that stepping folks up, uh, is within reach. One of the things that I find that charities often lose sight of is is you sort of like that thousand dollars. Well, that sounds like an awful lot of money. Could I ask someone? For a thousand dollars, and one of the things I I turn around and ask is, could you or do you feel that you have as much trouble asking someone to make a do, an eighty three dollar gift? Uh, and the reason why I say eighty three dollar gift is, if people gave eighty three dollars a month, it's a thousand dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, I think that um, the whole idea of monthly giving is is probably under marketed. Uh, and, you know, one other thing I wanted to mention is that I think we've learned a lot in fundraising from the big political campaigns. Um, you know, I'm on the um, the email list for the uh, Obama campaign, and it's it's just very interesting to watch how they work with small donors. You know, they, they've got the $5, the $10, the $20 coming in over and over from people who really care about their programs and their ideals. And, um one of the things that I well, that and, I and that's, become, a, that's a very important thing I think for you to bring up is let's learn from those who really know what they're doing online, uh, and certainly uh, President Obama in the 2008 campaign broke all records, and I think almost under the radar uh, right now, and certainly worth the the look of charitable organizations, regardless of what your political stripes are. Uh, President Obama is about uh, ready to eclipse the one million uh, small donor mark in this campaign, uh, far in a way, many multiples uh, above any of his Republican rivals. Uh, and so clearly the the way that you communicate and the way that you uh, share your message online does matter. You know, what interests me about um, that example, the Obama example, is that um, you know, the most of the most of the contact is by email, uh, and so the um, the way they've been handling their communication is you get three or four emails before somebody asks you for money. So you're in constant contact, you're getting information, you're often being asked to take an action, like they'll ask you to buy a T-shirt or take a survey or call a friend or pass on information or watch a video, but you're not always asked for money in every single contact. So it's a very interesting integration uh, uh, in terms of their method of staying in touch, asking you to take actions, you know, um, building community inter, uh, integration, but asking for money every third or fourth message. Right, and 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 I think that I think you're absolutely right, and I think it, again, regardless of what your your political stripes might be, the the essence of the message and what is truly working without any doubt. Uh, is, I believe, an emphasis on the relationship, uh, in sharing information, in staying in contact. And I do think that looking at year-end, one of the things that charities uh, do far too little of is communicating, uh, sharing information, and sharing smaller tidbits of information that are digestible as opposed to lengthy, uh, downloadable uh, documents that nobody's going to read, or even lengthy uh, newsletters that uh, can take a while to put together and oftentimes don't get the click-through rates. 
You know, I have an interesting example of that. I have a client who's um, been just raising an incredible amount of money. He's in about a two- or three-person staffed office, and he's already raised about $80 million for a campaign. And I, I find it incredible that the leveraging could be that great in terms of staff for dollars raised. One of those tricks that he has is he has a donor list of people that he's cultivating, and he just sends them a little message every Friday afternoon with a picture. And he tells them something that's happening in his organization, and it's up-to-date, and it's fun, and it has a little sense of humor, and it's kind of cute. And you know what? People start looking for it. Yeah. It's it's that reliability, and it's also, as I, as I tell all the charities that I work with, is you need to establish yourself as the go-to resource for information on whatever your topic is. In other words, if you're not the reliable source where I'm going to I care about whatever it is that you do and I'm getting the most up-to-date information from you, well then I may be getting it from someone else in which case I'm literally building a relationship someplace else. Well, an excellent point. You have to be um an informed source in order to um, you know, keep your donors um connected to you. Exactly. We're gonna um, we're gonna take a, a little bit of an announcement break here. Uh, when we come back, uh, I wanted Julia, if you could uh, uh, share with me um, a, a way or some tips that you have to uh, increase the urgency of giving now. And I, and I think year end does provide that opportunity to make a case for why should I give now as opposed to uh, to giving later. Uh, so when we uh, come right back from uh, this announcement. Uh, I'm going to get that information from Julia. Don't forget, you can call in, email, or join us in the chat room. Announcement to share with you this Friday, October 21st, is a very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach. This is called the Green Show. Uh, once a month, we have the Green Show that delivers timely and essential information on green calls to action uh, for the new century for nonprofit organizations. My guest on this special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, again this Friday, October 21st, uh, is Georgia Malky. Uh, she is the co-founder and partner and president of Seven Star, green experts to the event industry. For all you nonprofit organizations that are looking at year-end fundraising events, this is a great opportunity for you to uh, learn directly from an expert. Uh, Ms. Malachy has over 20 years of event planning and marketing experience uh, and can give you direct information uh, from her uh, chapter in the book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. So join us here on The Nonprofit Coach. You can Check out in the radio links uh, today at tedhart.com, but make sure you put it on your calendar to join us right here on The Nonprofit Coach this Friday, October 21st. Now back to page two. In your book, uh, Julia, you share the importance of uh, urgency in the call to action uh, for charities to give as, as one of the examples that you give for jump-starting that campaign, uh, the, uh, the title of your book. Uh, what are some of the tips that you have to make that happen? Well, um, usually, Ted, I'm a believer in, you know, what you might call making a positive case, telling everything that the organization is doing that's, uh, that's good and that's going to affect their services in a positive way. But, you know, these days I think there's also room to kind of um, – 
share a threat with your potential donors. You know, by that I mean if we don't have the capacity to provide these services to our community, these are the things that will happen. And, you know, with funding dropping from federal and state and city levels, uh, I think that um, those threats are real. So from my perspective, I think we've moved into a situation where a case can be made uh, on a positive basis for what the services are going to be provided and what the organization does to help. But it also can be made in, in more of a sense of it's urgent to help us because if you don't, these are the things that are going to happen. Um, now, most of us need to think about how to measure the, um, uh, the level of services that our organizations provide and present them in a little more um, understandable way to people who are actually supporting and funding the services. So from my perspective, this gets into a whole question of you know accountability and how you present your case in a way to show that um, you're making measurable difference in the community and that if your organization falters or, or falls down or doesn't have the, uh, the means to continue or, or to expand, the following things are going to happen, and you can actually measure those differences. Well, and, and I think it also comes back to particularly looking at the Internet as a, as a resource for communication, relationship building, and fundraising. Is in, I think what you're saying is it's about being more real uh, because I, I think that uh, a lot of folks are not – uh, lulled into a false sense of everything is wonderful and you know the the sky is blue on every single day uh, as as we might share in a wordsmith press release or fundraising of a bygone day that that when uh, the transparency of an organization allows donors to really see the guts and the workings of the organization there are ups and downs and if here at year end there are people who will go unserved that there are unmet needs uh, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a threat as it is just being real about what it is to run a nonprofit organization and the kind of populations that we're sworn to, to, uh, to serve. Well, you make a good point about how uh, the Internet has changed our communication modes. You know, I, I think that 20 years ago, uh, you know, nonprofits would never have dared to show what you might view as a weakness, you know, that there was the potential of not meeting a goal or that things were in trouble. And uh, that was considered, you know, very um, outrageous to, be, to, to show weakness in this kind of environment. Um, but, you know, nowadays I think people are much more interested in, in the word you use is transparency, and I think that's a good word for it. You know, uh, an honest evaluation of what's going on in the organization, where it's headed, what the issues are, um, what funding differences will mean, and uh, what's going to happen if the funding isn't there. Yeah, and, and I think for a lot of organizations, they they lose sight of the fact that you know um, it is easy to be forgotten, <laughs> and without that regular communication, those updates about what's working, what's not working, what the challenges are, uh, then donors may not take you as seriously uh, in today. And I, I think that the internet has changed a bit of that. Well, you know. <laughs> Um, I do want to um, pick up that word that you mentioned, challenges. I'm very interested in uh, fundraising challenges, you know, donor challenges and matches and all that kind of uh, of excitement that's built around somebody making a gift and then telling someone else they want them to make uh, a similar gift. And I think that um, uh, that those kinds of challenge uh, uh, activities in fundraising really can be very helpful at year end. Uh, I absolutely agree. I think that's one uh, really important strategy that we can share with our listeners right now. Uh, walk us through a particular scenario of how that might work. In other words, how a charity might take money raised 
this month uh, and multiply that by having a challenge campaign? Well, a common way to do it, Ted, is to um, is to ask a donor to put up a match and to say, um, you know, the donor is going to give, let's call it a hundred thousand, or let's pick a smaller number, ten thousand this month. Um, and any donor that makes a gift in the next two months will be matched by that uh, money from that ten thousand dollar pool. And it could be a one for one match, could be two for one. You know, it depends on how the donor and the organization want to work it out. Sometimes people focus on new donors. You have to be a new donor to uh, actually uh, uh, bring the match into effect. But the idea is that by making a gift, you're leveraging someone else's gift, and that's very attractive to donors nowadays. They they feel that, um, you know, my gift can do so much, but if I can get somebody else to make a gift, then I'm doubling the um, the potential for that organization. Exactly, and and that really is a strong uh, way for uh, to add that urgency that we were talking about before the break. Um, the, how how can we get people uh, to uh, to be more urgent in their giving right now? And those challenge campaigns can be a way to do that. I mean, uh, if you think of it, it, it's also a way to possibly start bringing in some of those monthly donors uh, because you know a gift of just twenty five dollars a month is three hundred dollars. Uh, which may be far and away more than uh, someone might give if you just do a direct mail and you get just that one-off $25 gift. So a lot of these strategies really do uh, excite a donor base, and then it then gives you that ability to communicate on a regular basis of how you're using that money that someone's giving on, uh, on an every-month basis. Well, that's a good point. And also, um, you know, uh, annual funds have traditionally used recognition, just like capital campaigns have, recognition uh, levels. Uh, and recognition groups and donor lists and, you know, um, publication of donor lists to help with this year-end problem and to create some sense of urgency. Um, I was involved with a school once that, um, you know, put together a um, uh, a list of all the donors and sent it out uh, as a draft about uh, two months ahead of year-end. And it went to donors whose names weren't on it. And so there was a, a letter that went with it that said, look, you know, this is what we're going to print in December. Your name isn't on it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well, which which is a, a great way to make it very real, too, to say, you know, we are going to print this be, uh, rather than printing it and I don't find my name on, on, on the list. It's, you know, doing that draft, which, you know, comes back to, again, making things real, that there is a process that we use in creating events, doing direct mail, doing campaigns. And to share a little bit more about that process takes away the magic of fundraising uh, where, you know, we all, you know, wave a magic wand and somehow we raise the money. When if you're in development, you know it doesn't work that way. But for those who are not in fundraising and are not in development, they really don't understand the process. And sometimes that can be an important tool. Well, I think that's an excellent way to look at it. You know, I uh, I feel that I've, I feel that um, especially working with volunteers and board members are a good example of this. You know, there's some fear of fundraising or anxiety about fundraising or a sense that I don't know how to do this or I don't want to do this. And um, I find that some of that is just a, a really a lack of familiarity uh, with a lot of things uh, that cause anxiety. You know, fundraising can be seen as uh, – a, a process and a set of steps that you take to reach a desired goal. And once people really are trained and understand those steps and get a good feel for what the um, what the potential is that they can actually raise, I think that they become very excited about fundraising. Um, you know, I've always felt that um, uh, that anyone who wants to can become a great fundraiser. 
Yeah, no, that that absolutely is true. Uh, Julie, I just want to share as we uh, start looking towards the end of the show, hard to believe how fast uh, time goes, is uh, we shared uh, in the break uh, the very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, uh, and I just got a production note that I failed to share the time uh, of that show uh, this Friday. That is at 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern, so it's a special time, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, for The Green Show, which is this Friday. Next week here on The Nonprofit Coach, Stephen Nill uh, from Charity Channel will be our guest talking about nonprofit Internet Networking. Uh, the following week, which is November 1st, is Linda Lysakowski talking about capital campaigns and big dollars. Uh, and then on November 8th, uh, and this is a repeat performance of one of the most popular nonprofit coach shows we've ever had, uh, and that is Patricia Pasquale uh, here talking about grant writing uh, for nonprofit organizations. And so many of those topics tie into uh, what you're talking about, Julia, in jump starting the campaign, because there really is no magic bullet. It really does take a strategy, right? Well, um, you said it earlier. You have to go back to basics. You have to look at what you're doing. Um, you have to identify the uh, the areas of weakness. And then you have to really train and correct for those areas of weakness. And um, one of the things that I've become interested in after writing this book on um, campaigns that are struggling is the whole training and uh, focus on nonprofit board members. And, in fact, um, that's the topic of my next book with Wiley, uh, nonprofit uh uh, a, a fundraising guide for nonprofit board members, and you know, I, I, as we just discussed, I think that people can uh, uh, can become afraid of fundraising, can be turned off of it, and but this is an area that uh, more of our board members need to understand and need to get a sense of, and and sort of um, develop the the ability to break it into a process so that they have a sense of what their organizations are doing and how they can succeed. Well, board members are a very important part of a year-end strategy, uh, both for the recognition piece but also the opportunity to meet those goals of what you were saying is oftentimes in a mature fundraising program, it's going to be 80% of the money given by 20% of the donors, or you also said there's a trend uh, towards 90% of the money being given by 10% of the donors. So would that suggest a narrowing donor pool to begin with? Well, not necessarily. You know, it's funny. There's a, there's almost a bimodal situation going on. There's a lot of activity at the top uh, with these large donors making huge gifts, you know, of hundreds of millions. And then there's a great deal of activity at the bottom, as we were talking about with the with the internet style campaigns, uh, the Obama style campaign that's raising five dollars and ten dollars and twenty dollars. So, um, so I feel like uh, there's uh, there's a lot of activity and interest on both sides. Uh, I would say, though, that for the board members that we were talking about to be most effective, that they are really um, the most useful at the top end of the campaign and at the top end of the giving table uh, because it's there that the personal relationships make so much difference. And, um, and board members really are your outreach into the community. They're the ones who are the face of your organization with many donors. Uh, and so their role is extremely important, and uh, training them and getting them to understand the process of fundraising is a, is a big part, I think, of any professional's work today. I could not agree more. As we're looking here at the end of the show, uh, Julia, uh, make sure that our listeners know how they can contact you and tell us a little bit uh, more about your book. Well, I think the um, uh, I think the the book is a um, uh, it's a guide. It's a it's a it's a uh, an effort to show you the steps that you need to take to get your fundraising back on track. 
Um, it has a combination of, um, you know, uh, case studies, exhibits, um, examples, techniques, tips, and a few funny stories just to keep you amused. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good way to start um, thinking about making some changes in your fundraising program. Um, it's available through the Wiley book site. It's available through the AFP uh, book site. Uh, and it's also available at Amazon.com under my name, Julia Ingram Walker. Absolutely. And, again, the title of that book is Jumpstarting the Stalled Fundraising uh, Campaign. And how can our listeners today be in contact? Julia, how can our guests today be in contact with you? Oh, sorry, Ted, you faded out. See, the contact is uh, it's fading already. Um, the um, I think the best way is really directly through my um, uh, website, which is walkercapitalcampaigns.com, uh, or also uh, my uh, uh, email, julia.i.walker at gmail.com. Be happy to hear from anybody and answer questions that you all may have. Terrific. And that is our show. Uh, Julia Walker, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, we'll be right back next week here uh, with uh, Steve Nill uh, talking about nonprofit internet networking. And don't forget the special green show this Friday at 1 p.m. with Georgia Melke talking about how to green your nonprofit events. And that is for today, The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.